Amen. Great worship. Great worship. Um, well, I'm going to try to make it through without hacking. Uh, I have allergies and other stuff. I've been stirring up for a month now, and it's just been all sorts of fun. So if I cough, just kind of go with it. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We finished Daniel. We're in a whole new series um, right now uh, called Thanksgiving, and I'll talk more about that here in a minute. Um, but as you're turning there, I want to share a, a situation, a story with you. Uh, kind of a confession, if you will, about my own life. Um, so me and Emily, this January 7th, we'll, ex- we'll celebrate our 14-year uh, anniversary uh, of being married. And, and so uh, on our, our 14, 14 years ago coming up, uh, for our anniversary or for our, our, after our honeymoon, we decided to go to San Antonio. Now, that wasn't our first pick, like go to San Antonio for a honeymoon, but we were originally supposed to go to, I think, Cancun, but then Hurricane Katrina hit and wiped out everything, and so we had to come up with a backup plan, and so we went to San Antonio, and we decided to make, you know, uh, lemonade out of lemons, like this is not where we want to go, this is not the romantic getaway we're thinking, but we said, you know what, Let, let's go all out every night for a meal, let's go on the river walk and just eat the best meal we can possibly eat. And so we saved up, I remember, like twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500, and every night that's what we did. We went out and we ate the absolute best meal we could. Uh, I, I gained 20 pounds over that week. It was amazing. Uh, but, you know, my wife was married to me, so there was no exit strategy for her. She was stuck with the fat Eric. It just is what it is. Um, but I remember, I remember on our last day there, we still had probably, I don't know, about $100, $150 left in our wallet to go and eat our last meal. And as we're walking out of our, our uh, hotel room we're staying in, down to the river walk, about from me to where the wall is back there, there was a, a homeless man kind of panhandling for money. And there was about this many people walking all around. And I remember walking as I'm, I'm on a mission to go to this restaurant that we want to eat again. We knew exactly how much it was going to cost. And as we're walking, it was just this weird divine thing. Like this guy just made eye contact with me through all these people got up from where he was sitting, walked straight up to me, and said, sir, said, I'm struggling, said, I, I just, I'm hungry. Do you have any money that you can give to, to me so I can eat? And I said, because I'm the kind Christian I'm in, I said, sorry, sir, I have no money on me. Now, don't judge. Come on, don't look at me like, wow, he's a horrible person. I was sitting here in that situation, and I, I lied to him, because I had my mind made up, like, this is my honeymoon, like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I want to go do this, and, and I lied to him, just right to his face. When I had $150, $100 in my wallet, and I was like, I want to take my bride for our last meal. And I tell you that, and I hope this kind of realizes that that's been 14 years, and I remember that like it was yesterday. And I asked myself to this day of, should I have given him my money? Because in my mind, I was sitting there like, you know, how do I know he's not going to go do something with this that's wrong? How do I know how he's going to handle this? Like, what should I do with my money in this situation? And in my mind, in that split-second moment, I justified that, you know what, this man doesn't deserve my money. I have better means for what I need to do. And in that moment, I made that decision, and to this day, it still eats at me of, I think I did something wrong there. Like, maybe I should have done something different there. It's amazing sometimes how our money gets a real touchy subject and how we talk about it. In your own mind, you might be saying the same thing, but if I were to be honest with yourself, have you had situations in your life where you look back and you can remember a situation, a scenario, just as present and real as that, where it's like, I know I should have given something, but I didn't. And I had the capability, but I made every excuse possible. Like, how do we handle those situations? How how do we process those sort of things? The series is called Thanksgiving. It's kind of a play, obviously, on the time of season. Uh, and when I sat down a year ago and put together my sermon calendar, God had pressed in my heart that I feel like every year for Thanksgiving in November needs to be some series on stewardship. I feel like God has led me to want to teach on that. 
And I'm not afraid to talk about that because money is an aspect that we need to address. Like, how do we handle this? How do we talk about that? And so next year, next November, expect the same thing. It won't necessarily be about money, but some form of stewardship. How do we handle it? How do we be good stewards of what God has given us? And over the next three sermons, we're going to address this week, who gives? The next sermon is going to be what gives? And the last one will be why give? And we'll talk about aspects like that. Now, I want to tell you right now, this is a touchy subject, and some people get really uncomfortable about this. And I want to say real quick, this is not a series about tithing. It's not. It's not about tithing. It's about giving, and there's a difference. Tithing is something that scriptural Christians are called to do to a church, a local body that they have said, I, I, I believe in this, I've attested this, I've seen God working this, and through that I make a commitment to submit, support, and guide and be a part of what's going on here. And so when we tithe, there's a giving that should be separate from that, and that's something for believers to do. And it's a soapbox I could get on, and I could point you passage after passage that shows that. This is not about tithing, this is about giving. And there's a big difference in that. And I want to tell you real quick, some people listen to this and go, oh great, something's going wrong, something's going uh, issue with the finances or whatever. I want to tell you, listen, here's, here's my commitment to you is this. I will never get up and preach about money or something, preach about anything with a secret agenda attached to it. If there's something going on, we're going to be upfront with you, and at first it's going to go to our membership and let them know, hey, as a member, once you know what's going on in our church, this is not the platform or the way to do it. And if you ever catch me in check with that, please, I beg you, call me out on that, because that's not how I want to operate, and that's not what God's called this pulpit to be. We, we want to preach God's word faithfully and soundly. And so we're talking about giving, giving that's done above and beyond a tithe. And what does that look like? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 15, as Paul talks about uh, a situation going on uh, that has to do with giving. And we're going to talk about who gives. Now, as you turn there, I'll tell you real quick, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. This is his second letter, probably on his third missionary journey. He's been going around, he's talking to them. And in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about more doctrinal issues. In 2 Corinthians, he's talking more practical issues. As a matter of fact, there's been this rumbling, this stirring going on inside the church, whether or not Paul was an authoritative pick person in the church. Some people come and say, well, Paul's not authoritative, we can't trust him. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 8, Paul's having to justify and explain why he is a man of God and why God's ordained him to do this. And then chapter 9, he kind of switches uh, gears, uh, sorry, 1 through 7, and then chapter 8, he switches gears to talk about what he's talking about here. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll read verses 1 through 15 real quick. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has given to the churches of Macedonia. He says, during a severe trial... Uh, brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in wealth and generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence in your love for us, excel also in the act of grace. I'm not saying this is a command, but rather by means of diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know that grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving advice because it is profitable for you, profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also want to do it, now also finish the task, 
so that just as, you are, just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not, it is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The bad part of that passage, verse 11 through 15, we're going to unpack another day when we talk about kind of who, who should we be giving to and what maybe how much should we be giving, some of those aspects. We'll kind of look and address that. But, but today we're going to talk more about, again, who gives. Now, Paul's writing this letter to the church of Corinth, and he starts out in a weird way, but uh, of talking about this Macedonian church as being great, but the real issue comes in verse 10 through 11. You see, church of Corinth had started giving to this need in Judea that they had uh, that Paul, in his third missionary journey, started collecting. You see, the believers in Judea who, who followed Christ were struggling, and so Paul was laid upon his heart to take up a collection to help the brothers and sisters in Christ to help meet their need. And so all around he goes and asks for help. In verse 10 through 11, we find out that this church of Corinth had felt the leading and desire to start giving, and they started giving, and because of whatever circumstances untold to us, they stopped. They just quit giving. Now imagine how hard that is. You try to start a ministry, you start trying to help out, and people are dependent, looking for that, and you say, yes, we feel led by God, and suddenly it stops. Did God just quit? And Paul's kind of addressing, hey, listen, you guys have fallen off. Like You need to complete what you have started. God, God laid this on our heart. God's not a God of chaos. God knew the circumstances you would be in. You need to follow through. You see, Paul is going to address through what we're going to unpack is that giving is a grace issue, not a financial issue. Let me say that again. Grace or giving is a grace issue, not a financial issue. It's not about giving in this passage. And you understand it's about grace. And if you walk away and say, well, Eric, tell me I need to give more, do this, you're completely missing what I'm going to unpack for you. It's not about giving, it's about grace. And that's what Paul talks about. And so he starts in verse 1 through 5 talking about this example of this Macedonian church. He's like, listen, I want you to look at this church and follow their example. Now, Macedonia is an area to the north of Corinth. It'd be like, hey, you know that church? You know Gateway up the street from you? Listen, they've been doing this well, and let me tell you how they're doing it. And the churches he's talking about here would have been Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, these churches that they would have known and stuff. And he's like, listen, they did this well. Let me tell you what they did. And look how he unpacks. He says, during a severe trial about, uh, brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed in wealth and generosity on their part. I want you to notice the circumstances going on here. The churches in Macedonia are facing extreme affliction. They're being persecuted for their beliefs left and right like it is. Disaster is hitting all around them. They're facing poverty that is beyond understanding, and you hear this word of burden going on. You see affliction, you see poverty, and you see burden all going in their circumstances. But what's their response in the midst of these circumstances? You see joy being talked about. You see lavish giving being talked about. You see it as a privilege, like we beg to be a part of this, seeing it as a privilege to give to this. They, they didn't let their circumstances derail what was going on. You say, well, why did they do it? What led them to do it? Well, it all goes back to verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. What led them to do this? It was the grace of God. 
God's grace had led him to do this as beyond understanding. It's grace manifested in giving. I love the New American Commentary says this. He says, it's interesting that Paul understands that God's grace does not lighten the Macedonians' affliction nor remove their deep poverty. Sometimes we think that God's grace might remove our affliction or move away our, take away our poverty so we can do more, so we can, can do above and beyond. But instead, he says this, instead it opens their heart and their purse strings to others. Their circumstances don't define them. Their circumstances don't define their response. The grace of God does. And so my sermon title was this, is who gives? Who gives? And the big idea and the answer is ultimately God. Plain and simply, God is the one who gives. But how does he give? Through people changed by grace. Who gives? God gives through people who are changed by grace. Don't miss. Listen, this is not a sermon about giving. This is a sermon about grace. It's not a giving issue. It's a grace issue. And Paul wants to make sure they understand that. He says, listen, I want you to follow. I don't want you to just give to give. He's like, I want you to understand the depths of grace. Well, how did they do this? How did they come to this point that they're just giving above and beyond? Well, look at verse 5. He, he tells. He says, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing the ministry of the saints, and not just as we hope. He says, instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. How did they feel the leading to give this? Because first they were given to the Lord. They belonged to God. So when God says, hey, I want you to give this, it wasn't so hard because they already belonged to God. Sometimes we come at it backwards like, God, maybe if I give my money, then I'll give myself to you. And we find ourselves frustrated. When in reality, we give ourselves to God and God leads us to where to give after that. You see, once they gave themselves to God, giving away money was not an issue because they understand it's not theirs anyways. This is something you some of you hit, sit here and go, well, Eric, you're telling me I need to give my, some of my money to the Lord. No, I'm telling you, you need to give all your money to the Lord, as well as yourself, your attitude, every aspect of your life. And when you give every aspect of who you are to God, suddenly when God says, I want you to do this, you're like, well, it's yours anyways. It's like me giving my daughter a $100 bill and says, I need to go give this to Matt over here. How foolish would it be for my daughter to go, well, you know, this is kind of my inheritance, so this is just as much mine as his, so I really don't want to give this. I'm going to keep it. it, it I've told her to, it's my money to give. And when we give ourselves to God, we understand, listen, God's the one that leads us. It's not about us. L- listen, understand this. W- when your depth of grace becomes so full, when you experience God so much that God fills you up so much with grace that you cannot contain it more, to the point that your wallet suddenly starts getting so heavy, the most unburdening thing to do is start giving it away. God, I've been filled with so much grace that, you know what, this value of what I'm carrying here is suddenly worth nothing, and it's a burden just to carry it. I want to give it away. Why? Because God's grace has filled me up so much. Depth of grace leads to a weight of money. It's an amazing thing. Now, many of you, and I'm going to be honest, are probably like me, where you hear this and say, listen, I know, I know I struggle in that area, but I'm good in all the other areas of my life. Like, I have this down, I serve, I'm actually faithful. When it comes to giving, it's just not something I enjoy to do. I just don't have a little comfort. I'm just not there yet. And Paul addresses that in verse 7, because look what he says. He says, now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, he says, excel also in this act of grace. Like, I know you got it all good, but you're like an out-of-balance wheel. And you roll good for a little bit, but when you hit that lump, suddenly it gets all bumpy. Like, well, eventually it'll smooth itself out. or It's okay. I'm just going to ignore that part. Like, no, you need to have this whole bounce. Like, it's all or none. Can I, can I tell you something? 
Like, some sermons are fun to preach because I feel like maybe I have it a little bit down. There's not many of them, Bradley, I'll tell you. There's not many of them that I feel like I'm getting up here and I got it down. But a few of them are. I mean, hey, I, I feel comfortable preaching about this. I hate this sermon. I'm just going to tell you right now. Like, for the longest time, like, giving is not my strong suit. I'm always like, well, that's not my strong suit. I, don't, I do all great in all these other areas of my life. But when it comes to giving, when it comes to seeing people in need, I'm like, you know what, that's just not me. And here's what the worst thing is, is I remember young, when I was early on in ministry, I took a spiritual gift test, which kind of tells you how God has gifted you, and God shows that I'm gifted in preaching and administration, and way down here in the bottom rung, I have the not-so-much gift of mercy and giving. It's a shocker, I know, if you spend much time with me. Now, I used to tell myself, now listen, God's gifted me in these areas, but not these areas, so it's not my responsibility to do anything in these areas. I lean on other people will do this. Listen, just because I'm not gifted and that's not my strongest area does not mean I neglect those things. It means other people have them and I lean on them for their advice and wisdom. Can, can I love about our elder body we have here? They are gifted in different ways. Bradley here, for example, I'm not calling out, is gifted in mercy. And so we're in a situation where my heart is not generally prone towards mercy. And he says, I think we need to do this. Sometimes my natural reaction is goes, nah, bro, that doesn't sound good. But I have to sit back and go, you know what? This is how God has wired him, and I need to submit to his leadership in that because I know. And it doesn't mean I neglect it. It doesn't mean I suddenly go, you do that. I'm not doing that. No, I'm going to come with you, and you lead us in that. I'm going to trust you in that. It's the same with giving. I used to tell myself all the time, like, well, that's just other people. God bless them more. It's not about that. We're all called to give. Some are more gifted. Some are more drawn and prone to that, and it's my responsibility to submit and follow their lead in those areas. Because when I see that, sometimes like, you know, I don't want to give to that guy. But you know what? You, I, I see you, and I, like, I, I follow that lead. I trust that. And so it's important that we balance all these areas of life, and we can't say, well, I'm good at all this, but I'm not good at giving, as I was prone to do for time and time again. When in reality, it's like, listen, maybe I don't understand God's grace enough. Listen, can I tell you something? God doesn't take buts in our life. He didn't take, I'll do all this but this. If you don't believe me, hold your spot right there and turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, where some people had some buts they wanted to say. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, people are wanting to come follow Jesus, and they have every aspect of their life together but this one area, and they try telling Jesus, listen, I'll do everything but this, and listen to his response. It says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to his head, he said. And he said unto another, follow me. Lord, he said, another person said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the de dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Listen. This may be harsh to hear, but it's truth and reality. God does not accept buts. He does not accept every aspect of your life but this area. You, you know why that is? Because buts negate things. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, uh, not too long recent past, my wife made something to eat, and it was all good but this one area. And so she asked me, said, what did you think of dinner? I said, you know what, I really liked the pasta, but the sauce was not so great. Now, did she walk away saying that's a good meal? No, why? Because what I said at the beginning, immediately as I said but, removed every good thing I had said before. Right? You ever have someone done that? Or if you have a kid that's a great athlete, and they come home like, hey, Dad, how do I do this basketball game? Like, listen, I know you hit the game winner and led the team in scoring, but you had 10 turnovers. Does the kid think they had a good game? 
No, because it's all been negated by the but. Buts negate things. And so we come to God and say, God, I give all this to you, but this one area, I just, I just don't want to let go. God's like, then you're not giving yourself to me. You, you refuse to relinquish. You, you haven't really given me as Lord of your life. And, and so God wants all of us, not just part or certain aspects or certain portions of our life. He wants all of us. And so many of you are sitting there hearing me talking right now and getting probably a little frustrated as if I were sitting in your seat right now, I would be the same way if someone were preaching at me about giving and needing to work on these areas. And you're probably thinking in your mind this question right here. So Eric, you're telling me I need to be more charitable. That, that's what this is about. No, you're missing what I'm saying. Hey, it's not about you need to be more charitable. It's the question of is, why is that desire not there? Why is that missing in the first place? Verse 8, look what Paul says. He says, and he even says, this is not a command. He says, I'm not saying to give. I'm not saying this as a command. Like, I'm not commanding you to do this. He says, listen, rather, by the means of diligence to others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. I, I'm seeing if God's grace has really taken root. It's not a command that you need to start being charitable. It's a quick question of why is that not there in the first place? Something is lacking. Here's a situation. If I suddenly Valentine's Day comes around, I'm like, you know, I love my wife, but flowers is a total waste of money, and so I'm just going to spend it on the house because we both care about the house. It's going to add value to it. Like, if, if, I, if I sit here and do this, like, there's something missing there, right? Like, my wife would not appreciate that. Like, she wants to be valued. She wants to be cared for. Now, the answer is not this. If I don't want to go take care of, like, loving my wife and sacrificially give to my wife, the answer is not just to sacrificially give more. Like, I didn't just start buying more flowers and throwing at them. Like, maybe eventually my love for her will grow. The reality is what I do is I need to get more in tune with the heart of my wife and come to love her more to the point that my money has no value and I throw it away on her like a success. I love you so much. that You know what? Flowers, that, that, is, that is nothing compared to what I think of you. Can I tell you this? What happens when we come to the heart of God? We get so in tune by the grace of heart of God and understand what he's done for us to the point that, listen, giving's not an issue. So if you walk away and you hear, like, I need to give more money right now and I need to do all this sort of stuff, you're missing what I'm saying. It's not about that. Don't force it into existence. It's a question of why is it missing in the first place? That there's an aspect of my life that maybe the litmus test is coming back and saying something's off. Can I tell you something? That was the hardest reality for me to come to. When I sit here and make excuses left and right, why that man there was not deserving of my money or what I need to do. It was not a question now of suddenly I need to give him more money and I just need to start throwing it at him. It was a question of why is my heart not so in tune that I care about this man as much as myself? Why has God's grace not changed me in this area? Why have I not given this area to my Lord? It's not a financial issue, it's a grace issue. And Paul says in verse 9 to unpack even more, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, you, you might become rich. He, he sandwiches this whole thing with an example, an example of the Macedonians who have just responded to, in the way they have and how Christ has set this example. And right in the middle, he's telling, like, listen, it's a grace issue. Uh, ultimately, verse 9 is telling us this. He's saying, if you don't understand verse 9, you're not going to get verses 1 through 8. If you don't understand who Christ is to you and what he's done for you, giving's never going to make sense to you. And so it's not a question of you need to suddenly start giving more. It's a question of you need to come more in tune with the heart of God and know him better because he will control and tell you what to do more. Giving, can I say this again, is a grace issue. 
not a financial issue. And so the question, again, is this, is who gives? Who gives? It's God that gives through people who are changed by grace. If you're like me and you struggle with letting go of those purse strings sometimes because things are tight, it's a question of, listen, do I really trust the Lord in this area? I'm not saying you give to the point, and we'll talk about that later. How much do I give? Do I give to the point that puts myself in such financial debt and poverty and issues that I can't afford and take care of myself? He talks about equality later on, which we will address. It's not about that, and there's a reason I don't want to address that, because right now it's not about how much I should give, who I should give to. It's a question of who are you in love with? Who, who, do you know the heart of God? You need to run into the arms of a Savior. Don't miss it. It's not a call to give, it's a call to grace. As a matter of fact, if you look through this passage, ten different times in the next two chapters we're going to read, grace is used ten times. Ten different times. He says grace over and over and over again. Why? Because it's about grace, it's not about giving. And so, don't miss this. You might be saying, well, what do I need to do? Well, listen, God doesn't need your money. It's not about that. God, God doesn't need your money. God can feed that man. God can take care of this church. God doesn't need your money. But listen, you need God. And if you get those out of whack and think, well, God needs me to give, and this church needs me to give, and that person needs me to give, you're misunderstanding that I need God. And through what God is doing in my life, God's going to give more than I can ever imagine. God's going to take care of their needs because I believe God is sovereign. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I know that in my life, even if circumstances go bad, God can still control and guide me in all these situations. And my generosity is not going to stop based on my circumstances, just as my love for God and my faithfulness is not going to stop based on my circumstances. God is beyond all that. He knows what's going to happen. And so it's about grace. And how you handle money is a reflection of that. And so I ask you just to process, think in your heart, where do you sit with that? In your life, when it comes to, maybe, maybe for you it's not giving. Maybe stewardship is different in your areas in this way. Listen, it's not about money. Maybe it's time. Maybe you have no problem writing a check to people. When it comes to giving your time, that's a struggle. And God, I'm good at giving my money. But when it comes to my time, that's mine. Can I tell you something? It's a grace issue. God, when it comes to serving, like I just don't care for that. I don't care for doing it. Listen, it's not about serving. It's about a grace issue. You're falling off track. And so the call today is not to give. It's to grace. And so here's my calling. I'm going to ask Matt and the team to come up, and we're going to have a time just to reflect for a second. And if God is leading you in any way, shape, or form in this, listen, if you walk away and you suddenly feel that, well, okay, I need to give more of my money now, this is what it's about, you've missed the whole message of this message right here. It's not about that. The, the response is not saying I suddenly need to start giving more. The response is this, I need to run back into the heart of God and say, God, why is this area missing in my life? God, stir in me this area. If God gives through people who are changed by grace and I don't have a hunger to give, then where do I fall in line with that line of thought? So where are you at with your head bowed and your eyes closed? I'm just going to ask you to reflect for a second. Where is God leading you? If you were to ask yourself honestly, man, am I, do I have a heart to give? Does God freed me from the attachments to my money? Do you have a freedom in that? If not, the solution is not suddenly just start writing checks up and write. The solution is, God, I need to run into your arms. I need to spend more time with you. I need to become so in love with you and become so intrinsically captured by your heart and who you are that suddenly my money has no value anymore. 
My time has no value anymore. My efforts, all this, all I give to you, it's all yours. And so the call is to grace, not to giving today. So if God's stirred in your heart, maybe the first place you have to start is just giving yourself to the Lord. Listen, the, the solution is not to put money in the offering plate when it comes by. It's to give yourself to the Lord. Some of you, that means through salvation. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never acknowledged that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that if you would just believe and trust him, acknowledge your need for him, you would receive salvation. And God could change you. And if God's stirring your heart and that's where you feel led, I encourage you to come find me or one of the elders or someone after service and say, hey, Eric, I, I need that grace. If you're a believer and you struggle in this area, listen, don't walk away being content with having an out-of-whack wheel. Like, God, I need to give all of myself to you. you. You deserve all. Don't make this about money. Make it about grace. Father God, I pray for this church. I pray for myself, God. Continue to humble my heart. Continue to make me into the image that you want me to be. God, forgive me for not doing what I know I should have done that day almost 14 years ago. Forgive me for continuing struggling sometimes of not letting go of my wallet because I, I think it's something I've earned, something I deserve, something I, I have, and I, I just haven't given that. And so God, change my heart in that. God, I don't want to become so in love with you that my money has no value. I want to become so in love with you that my time is, is best suited in your hands. So God, change my heart. And God, I know there's other people in this room that are probably struggling with the same thing. God, change their heart too. God, I pray we as a church would run into your arms into the heart of grace. God, you are a faithful, good God, and help us just to seek after you and hunger for you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.